0: privilege actually to uh, introduce Paul to you. Um, some of you will, will have heard Paul speak uh, and some of you um, it may be new to, to hear these guys Paul and Sue wearing. To be honest I, I first met Paul over the over over listening and watching training that he was doing from California uh, on something called LDP Uh, and uh, I signed up for that and really it's interesting isn't it and actually Paul teaches on this about how you can be influenced fathered if we use that language uh, by people from a distance and personally I think Paul's done that through some of their training others uh, as well and and then had the privilege as I said earlier of meeting uh, Paul, Paul and Sue at uh, Milton Keynes in the flesh, well actually we saw them in Reading as well but saying, saying hello at uh, Milton Keynes and I, I was just thinking what are some of the things that stand out for me uh, as, I, as I think of Paul I, I, think, I think he's a man of the word and the spirit so I think that's important I think he's Actually quite a stimulating thinker uh, and uh, at Milton Keynes we sat around the table, poor Paul got surrounded by all of the people pretty much from God first uh, and we talked about all sorts of things. Uh, really stimulating thinker, writer and communicator I've found as he's spoken, he's come at things from angles that I hadn't particularly thought about uh, which I've found really provoking and, and stimulating. He's a man of faith and generosity, uh, he's, a, he's a man I've noticed he's continuing to grow and this is true of them as a couple but, but you'll hear as he speaks things that God has done in his life, and you hear, well, God spoke to me about this, you'll hear a lot more from Paul and Sue, actually, tomorrow about their journey, but some of the stuff around, I hope, comes through about evangelism and and that sort of thing, a man who's authentic and open and who is humble, Uh, and actually, perhaps most importantly of all, a man who loves food and coffee, uh, which which I, I found fascinating around the table at Milton Keynes, the level to which Paul will go to to make an espresso. Uh, and I'm telling you, he's seriously into, into that. So maybe you can make us all a coffee tomorrow, Paul. That would be great. And so what we're going to do is we felt, let's get Paul up, do a couple of sessions, and then get Paul and Sue up to, tomorrow. And Emma's going to interview them, hopefully from a sofa here, and we'll have cameras and all sorts of things, just to, just to get to know them, because that's one of the ways that we can uh, learn as well. So Paul's heart is to raise world changes. That's what he wants to do. And so I think, whether you know Paul or not, why don't we give him the best welcome we can give him, and welcome him up here and receive all he's got
1: thank you very much actually I think I've been conned into being here personally because um, we began with you the most authentic is it Tracy wasn't it it's the most authentic honest testimony of pain, abuse and hurt I've ever heard, publicly given, honestly. I thought it was outstanding. Um, I'm not exaggerating, I could exaggerate, I'm not exaggerating. I think a lot of people tell a bit of the story um, and you know, leave you with sort of more question marks and you just, it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful, powerful. And then, you know, then we just had world changer over there, Katie you know, and I'm, I'm supposed to speak after this, <laughs> you know, this is what I want to say, I, I'm, Heidi would consider me a friend of hers and she, I would consider her a friend of mine and I, I think the best thing I can say is she'd be so proud of you, so very, very proud of you, the, the way you talked and, and the way you articulated and uh, yeah, humbling to say the least. And then you just covered just about everything this morning, so I'm just wondering what to talk about, which is why I'm, why I'm waffling now, because I normally, I normally have a half-decent message on Luke 15, and um, Ruth Graham's stories in my book. I'm like, you know, you can leave me anything. Um, but anyway, I will play around with a little bit of that later on. So, but honestly, very great pri- privilege to be here. Um, before I get to know you anymore, you two, I feel like what the Lord wants to say to you is this isn't about a building, um, this is about... Who you are, and uh, this this is uh, and this isn't about a conference. Uh, this is about who you are. Um, it, it really, you know, the conference is just a, a small expression of the identity and what he wants you to build and to build out from this. This is who you are: the Father's heart, um, a home, um, uh, a place of His presence, um, a place of championing people. Uh, and I feel like the Lord just wants to say this is so much your identity um, having just walked into this building and felt it, you can feel it so this isn't a conference this is just happens to be saying this is just a, a little snippet of who you are, who you're called to be what you're called to do, both of you uh, in, and it's very much your identity this is, like, this is just richly who you are and uh, I'm already enjoying being around you and being around your team and uh, don't, don't hold back is basically I think what the Lord wants to say Uh, on anything in that area, so, Um, yeah, so, let me tell you a little bit about me, and I'll tell you, we'll we'll tell you some more tomorrow, but the funny thing is, I am currently, probably about this time, almost exactly, to the minute, 47 years old as a Christian, because I got saved at 3.30 in the afternoon on February the 28th, 1973, by my father's dead body, and uh, he just died, and I said to God, uh, "Start another chapter of the book you just ended one. So start another one and write my name in it." Um, I've since done, you know, sinners' prayers and stuff like that in case my prayer wasn't quite the full deal. <laughs> but um, so uh, yeah, just happens to be this is uh, one of those strange days in my calendar, and February the twenty eighth always stands out, even when there's a February the twenty ninth, it still stands out uh, as a as a unique day. So. I've been walking with him uh, all that time. Um, I went from getting saved to uh, a church. We were we were in a strange position as a family. We were kind of stuck between churches. Some things had happened in our church, and my parents had a business, and they they were struggling to find somewhere. and uh, And so, when my father died, we we went to a church that would uh, that some of my family knew, and that became our our church for. 23 years, it's where I met Sue, who would become my wife. You know, some people say that's where I met my wife. That's awkward, actually. You know, you meet a girl who becomes your wife. It's like there's a process to these things. But, um, and uh, two years after that, uh, I went to a evangelism explosion trainers conference in 1975. And I heard what I would have then called a call to ministry. I probably wouldn't call it that today in the same way. I would probably talk about career ministry or vocational ministry. And that's because one of my biggest passions in life is that we're all ministers. um, And we're all ministers of the kingdom. uh, And uh, that's really important to me. Uh, I don't want there to be any separation, any division. I want every one of us to know that we're equally called to the priests and ministers of the gospel of the kingdom. Whether you sweet roads, clean hotel rooms bake cakes, save lives, teach kids, I don't care what it is, you're a minister, you're a priest and so whilst I then would have called it that, I wouldn't call it that now, I got home from that weekend in uh, Southampton actually, Southampton Central Baptist Church, anyone from Southampton? You're over there, all right, okay, is that geographically correct, is that where Southampton (laughs) is here? Um, And uh, the preacher there was the Reverend Vic Jacobson and uh, that's where I heard that call I got home and I wrote to Sue's grandfather and I asked for some advice Uh, I said I've just been called to the ministry what do you think I should do I was expecting to be told what seminary to go to Uh, he told me go and get some experience working with people it's very good advice I I have met some pastors who could have done with that advice it might have helped them (laughs) greatly along the way and uh I, uh, I trained as a psychiatric and general nurse as a result of that. And somewhere in the middle of my nurse training, Sue and I uh, got married. We began our married life in the East End of London. Um, so uh, we had a, it's not quite as dark as where you were talking about, but it was a little dark when we were there. Um, and I worked as a psychiatric and general nurse, loved it. And uh, then for the very deeply spiritual reason and I always include this because there's some people who just need to know that sometimes some of the biggest decisions of our lives aren't quite as spiritual as they might, you know, you might expect them to be and uh, we, we were expecting our, our first son and uh, I couldn't afford to pay the bills uh, as a nurse so I went from saving people's lives to locking up people who took people's lives and I doubled my pay overnight. Uh, No comment about politics around that whatsoever. No, Nothing. uh, And ended up joining the prison service. I worked in the prison service of England and Wales uh, for 19 years. The last 10 years of that, I was either a deputy governor or a governor. And I was deputy governor of Feltham and uh, governor of a place just outside of Henley. Um, There is loads of detail because the older you get, the longer your testimony gets. But I'm just going (laughs) to give you a couple couple of quick headlines. (laughs) Um, but uh, in 2000, well, in 1999, Sue went to Bethel. Uh, she was on her own journey, her own pursuit, and God told her that that would be our home. I, I think He actually said Bethel would be our home, which was, became very true because Bethel was more our home actually than Reading, the place. Bethel really was. And we probably spent most of our lives in there as well, actually. But, uh, and uh, so in 2001, we jumped on the first plane after 9 11 and flew to Reading, California um, with a One year visa, enough money to live for a couple of years. Not a clue what was going on and I did school of ministry and then they invited me to join the team. There's more detail than that. Spent uh, what became 15 years living in California. I don't know that, if you'd asked me six, seven years ago, I'd have told you this is it. I'm staying here. Uh, And then began a, a crazy journey which we'll probably talk a little bit about in the questions tomorrow. Um, but a crazy journey that was a prophetic word that sent me to Reinhard Bonke's School of Evangelism that connected me with people that are believing that it's Europe's time and uh, began a sequence of events that caused us to uh, do the let's sell up everything and move again. And uh, we have and we have no regrets. Best thing we ever did was sell up and move to Redding, California. Best thing we ever did was sell up and move back to Windsor. Simple as that. And probably my favorite thing in life these days is that my 10 year old grandson can knock on our door and uh, just walk around the corner from his house. So that's, uh, that's a little, it, there's, there's obviously a lot more than that. Um, one of the things along the way that I found myself teaching, uh, amongst other things, and to be honest, one of my biggest problems in life is that I was talking to somebody earlier about branding. You know, this generation wants to brand everyone, don't they? It's like, you know, you've got to have a brand. And, for about five years, people tried to brand me. It was to no avail. It was hopeless. You know, they'd leave my office and I'd be confused. And then one day somebody said, your brand is diversity. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it is. That's good, you know, because I can teach on strategic planning. I can teach on gift of government. I can teach, you know, around a whole load of themes around, you know, father heart, around glory, etc., etc., etc. So uh, sometimes my challenge is is diversity uh, and, and where to land. But I started teaching about the father heart and about sonship uh, in around about 2005 uh, when I had an encounter in a meeting. Um, with God and I, I'll, I'll definitely tell you some more detail about that. But where I want to jump in to start is this, I want to talk about context. Because why are we in a Father Heart Conference and, and why does it matter so much? Why, why would we find ourselves today in 2020 in a Father Heart Conference? Why, why are we a part of, really I would trace it somewhere around 40, 50, maybe at a pinch 60 years that this emphasis on sonship, identity, and the Father's heart. Why has that happened, and what's the significance for that? Uh, And you know, as we heard this morning out of the creeds that are written, very few actually mention this subject. So I want to talk a little bit about context. Uh, I'm going to try and give you a biblical context. I'm going to try and give you a global context. I'm going to try and give you a church-based context and hopefully that will lead you to an individual and personal context. I personally trace this around to the sort of the Derek Prince teaching. I would say he had a major influence with his teaching on blessings and curses. Um, Floyd McClung, not many years later, with really I think probably one of the first books on the subject, Father Heart of God, and from there we've seen, You know, we've just had Jack Frost's book given away, you know, so many things have happened. So many books have been written. Uh, hundreds of us have sat in the counselor's chair, and we've had, you know, whether it's, you know, Freedom in Christ, RTF, Sojo- Sozo's, Elijah House, or whatever, we've had some counseling, we, we've had some help, we've been to conferences like this, we've read books, and we have been pouring into this subject of father, heart, sonship, identity. So, why? Why why is it so relevant? And uh, I want to just briefly run through a biblical context, if I may, because I I think that what's happening is that we are being aligned biblically. Now, this is a fairly long message where I'm going to hit pretty quickly, so if you don't get it all, um, there are other ways of finding it. But I want us to go back, first of all, to the garden, which I actually incidentally believe that there is um, a drawing of us back to the principles of the garden in our generation, perhaps like never before. But I just want us just to go briefly to the garden. And I I want to say to you this, I think most of the time we have been taught in the garden about what we lost. But I want to suggest to you that the biggest issue of the garden of Eden was not what we lost, but what he lost. That the Father created us, his created kids, and we were removed from his presence. Now, let me just give you, and there are odd little things that I'll drop in that I just want to emphasize because they affect everything. You see, you you know the story. You You know what happened with Adam and Eve. But I know that for a lot of my Christian life, I did not realize... That we were removed, not for punishment, but for protection. Now that one truth will change your view of the whole of this book. The whole of the book. Because we were not removed for punishment, we were removed so that we didn't eat the fruit of the other tree and be eternally unredeemable. And so we were removed from the garden, the angels were put there to make sure we didn't get back. So first first of this big picture is this, we were made in the image of God and God lost the ability to have face-to-face relationship with his created kids which must have been absolutely heartbreaking for him and you know if you then fast forward from there what you have is that Thousands of years later, the father is able to send his son to do what the father can no longer do, which is to have face-to-face relationship with his created kids. But not only that, what the son is able to do is to restore the relationship between the father and the created kids. And even in that, there is an incredible picture. And if I just add the third part, and that is this, when Jesus was leaving, he said, I've got to go now. And if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And my paraphrase, if the Holy Spirit can't come, the job won't get finished. What's incredible is this way in which God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all work together for one purpose. And there is this beautiful picture. I think one of the most beautiful and stunning pictures of all of heaven's family. Heaven's relational government, God the Father, God the Holy Son and God the Holy Spirit who pre-exist creation in perfection, perfection of love, perfection of loyalty, perfection of honour to each other and they are each of them secure in their identity and purpose. Because you don't hear any complaining, don't you? It's like, well, it's not fair. You know, Jesus can go down and do what I can't do. Or Jesus saying, well, it's not really fair. The Holy Spirit's got to come, which means I've got to go. Which apparently means that you always have to have two in heaven, apparently. Some of you got that
0: joke.
1: They are this picture of perfection of relationship. The three of them. Three in one, one in three. This incredible, incredible picture. See, I believe that that's what we are intended to become. That that we become sons and daughters who are able to work like that. Wouldn't it be amazing? You see, I, I I dream of the day that we will we will find you know situations where we say, you know what? I actually think Duncan can finish this off because he 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 leads in that better than me. That we start to work in that kind of a way, the same way as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work. So what we have is we have God the Father can now no longer have face to face relationship with his created kids. And I want to suggest to you that heaven's way of working is family, it is relational. And if you actually look, you know, what we're touching on here is is relatively new because we've shifted, and there are so many changes in, in our world. And, and what we're really touching on here about truly being family is relatively new, although it's eternally true. So here, here we are touching on this vital subject. Now let's just run through a few other headlines quickly. Heaven's government is family. Now I want to give you a couple of quick definitions. I, I definition type of guy at times. What's the purpose of government? I want to suggest to you that the purpose of government is the creation of a family, a community, a society where the members of that community, family, society have a shared vision for the future and everyone plays their part to see it fulfilled. See, that's, that's really what heaven's government is about, which means you can read the Bible with the wrong definition. You See, if you read the Bible and you read Isaiah 9 verse 7, which is my, probably my favourite verse in the Old Testament amongst another hundred, but it's way up there. If you read it with the wrong definition, you've got a problem. See, when you read, there'll be no end to the increase of his government, and you turn on questions in Parliament, and you go, I don't want an increase of that. No. But when you realise that heaven's government is the creation of a family, where we have a shared vision of our future and every one of us plays our part to see it fulfilled, you can say, amen, let's do it, let's have more. And in order for us to take our place in that, we have to become the sons and daughters of the king of kings. We have to step into perfection of love for each other, perfection of honor for each other, perfection of loyalty to each other, and absolute security in each other's identity and purpose. And that's what there was before anything happened. Let's just have a, a, a quick look at a couple of other key, key points uh, about this. I, I, I really do love Isaiah 9. And, and we read it typically at Christmas. What's fascinating is that the opera-going world knows something, though. If you've ever been to Handel's Messiah, they know to stand. People who don't know him know to stand. Stand. At the singing of those verses. A child is born. A son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Oh, the government is on the shoulders of a son. That's where it is. My wife's not really happy about the idea of me ever having a tattoo. But if I did have a tattoo, I would have one. It would say government just there. Just on a shoulder. That's all I'd need. Just one (laughs) little tattoo. Governments on the shoulders of a son. A child is born; a son is given. Now, Duncan touched on this this morning, but let me just quickly uh, uh, something that I read, which is very similar to what he said. In the culture of Isaiah's day, when a nobleman had a boy child, the boy child would be presented to a senior servant in the household. The senior servant would raise the child to maturity. And when that child was mature, that child would be represented by the servant to the nobleman. And the nobleman would go out into the marketplace and say, this is my son. And whatever checks he writes, I'll back up. It was a culture in the day. A child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. When Jesus was born, he was raised in a senior servant's house. Their names were Joseph and Mary. He was raised until 30 years of age. He was raised by senior servants, as it were, trusted servants, trusted by God to raise the Son of God. And at 30 years of age, he's taken out into the marketplace and heaven's family is all present, the Son, the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Whatever he says or does in my name, all heaven will back him up. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of adoption that we're talking about. And here's the stunning truth. Jesus, a child, which is an offspring. A child is born. They're two different words in the Old Testament. The offspring is born like a a kid to a goat, like a lamb to a sheep, like a puppy to a dog. It's an offspring. A child is born. A son is given. The son is the bearer of the family name. That even Jesus traveled the journey, that journey from offspring to son. Even he did. He was taken out into the public place at his baptism where the father and the son and the Holy Spirit were all present for that unique moment in time and, and I could go on about so many elements of this but you, the point I really want you to know is this the way of heaven is family and, and when unless we understand the language right we'll get it wrong you see government is about creating family well let's have a little bit more look at some of that verse Isaiah 9 verse 7 Of the increase of his government, there will be no end or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it with justice and with righteousness. I went to a church where righteousness was a set of rules and justice was what happened when you broke the rules. So you can read that verse and read the worst verse in the Bible. We're going to have more of that government stuff, that arguing, that political arguing. We're going to have more rules and we're going to have more punishment. Or you can read this of the increase of his family on earth there will be no end or of peace on heaven's throne or earth's throne to establish it with well, let's have a look at justice what is justice I believe that kingdom justice is about the restoration of relationships it's the only it's the only definition I can embrace why because the, the Bible says that God delights in justice Well, I worked in prison and I've been to a few law courts and I didn't see too much for God to delight in. I can't imagine him getting that excited about what happens in the Old Bailey. It says he delights in justice, yeah, because the purpose of kingdom justice is the restoration of relationships. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest example of justice and injustice in one place. You see, justice is about being restored in relationship. And righteousness is an invitation to be like the Father. It's the invitation that's extended to us to be in right standing. So do you see that verse changes? Do you see the Bible changes? It's not about rules. It's about love. It's about relationship. And so the Father sends his Son to die on a cross, to restore our relationship with him, to extend the invitation to all mankind to be like the Father. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Some of you think it's extraordinary. I'm probably dumping too much on you in the afternoon session. You see, you and I are ambassadors. The Bible says we're ambassadors. What's what's an ambassador? Well, you know, don't you? You know that... You know that the embassy, the US embassy or any other embassy in London is foreign soil. You know that, don't you? Maybe you don't know that wherever the ambassador lives is foreign soil. It actually is. It's not a perfect comparison because there might be an expert in this law in the room. But it's not a perfect comparison. But it is why there's diplomatic immunity. It's, it's related. You can, you can get the connection. So here's the thing. You and I are ambassadors. That means that wherever we live, we create foreign soil. We create heaven's soil. That's what, that's what we get to do. Now, when you start to put all these things together, you start to see that the big picture of the Bible is relationship. It's a relational textbook. That's what it is. Everything in there is, is about us Learning how to be a part of this family and that wherever we place our foot here on earth, wherever we live, that we establish his land, heaven on earth, that's what we get to do. And that we do that through relationships. We don't do that through exercising power. We do it through exercising love. And this is the big picture context of the book. Why was it so important that we weren't removed from punishment? Well, number one, so that we would not be eternally unredeemable. Because the father at that point knows I've got a plan. And it's down there in history. I'm sending my son Jesus to be the redeemer, to be the redemption of all mankind so that I can have my face-to-face relationship with my kids back. He knew that. And we, we, we need to get our interpretation of the entire bible through the subject of this conference this this is why we're doing this so that we see everything through the lens of the father's heart through his love for mankind one of my other little peeves it's kind of related to this but it's one of my other pet peeves is when we talk about judgment day I don't think there's a judgment day in the book it's deliverance day it's deliverance day the judgment day word is written in the in between the verses somebody decided to put judgment day there isn't a judgment day it's deliverance day he's coming back for us he's going to judge for us it's more like a judge of american idol or britain's got talent or whatever you want to put in there you're going to hollywood you're in you're a winner it's not the judge in the old bailey with the black cap that goes send him down it's, it's the judge who says, send him up. I'm judging for him. You're in. Your place was purchased by Jesus Christ. We have to get the lens of the Father so that we see the world and life through his eyes. We're a family. A family that is learning. Learning how to live this life together. Honouring each other, loving each other, being loyal to each other, being secure in our own identity, being secure in our purpose. And that's a very quick and a slightly massacred biblical big picture. Okay? Is everyone okay though? Yes. So there's a biblical big picture. Let's have a look though at a global picture. We live in the days of the greatest opportunity. None of you agree with that. <laughs> we live in the days of the greatest opportunity. There has never been an opportunity to present it to any other generation like our opportunity. The, the first billion people were recorded alive on the planet by 1890. That's a lot of time from when Adam was a boy. Till 1890, the next billion will be born in 12 to 15 years. Isn't that staggering? Doesn't that stagger anyone else? That means we live in the days of the greatest opportunity. Why? Numbers alone. Sheer numbers of people. The opportunity for a harvest is right here, available to us. We live in this moment. You know, when there were a a billion people lived on earth, 30% lived in cities. That's about, sorry, when there were 3 billion, 30% lived in cities. That's less than 1 billion. There are now 8 billion people on the planet and 50% live in cities. 4 billion people live in cities. Just as an aside, it would be a really good idea if us Christians were studying population migration, the same as other faiths and the corporate world are. We might learn a little bit about where we should be pouring our strength. But I just want to, I'll just leave you with this simple point. We live in the days of the greatest opportunity, sheer numbers, sheer numbers. We also live in the days of the greatest change. Your appetite for change is crazy compared with your grandparents. They were happy with one phone for life, one washing machine for life, you know, pretty much. Your phone, you're already fed up with your phone. You only bought it a couple of weeks ago because you discovered the new one does different photographs. There is an appetite for change. And there is a world that is changing at such a rate. There are articles today that are written for Forbes magazine by artificial intelligence, by a computer alone. You can go into stores in Japan and buy items and you will be only be served by a robot that scans your face takes an idea of what you're looking at where your interest is and end up selling you something that is probably better than a human being would have been able to sell you there is an appetite for change seriously we are much more into change I mean we went to a church years ago where basically people said you know we've always done it that way anyone go to that church they even have bible verses for it yesterday today forever Jesus is the same (laughs) Yeah, the point is, he's the same, you're not. You're meant to be changed, do be like him. So we live in the days of the greatest change, which is an invitation, in my opinion, to a reformation, transformation. We have an invitation to revival. We have an invitation to reformation. I also believe we have an invitation to a renaissance because we live in the days of the greatest access to creativity this world has ever seen. I mean, you can make a little movie right now. You don't need to rent Abbey Road for your next album. Do it in your front room. You can run up there and take a photograph on the Zebra Crossing if you like. You just want that on your album cover. But you can do all the recording in your house. We live in the days of the greatest access to creativity. I'll make this make sense in a moment. And I'll also be doing some commissioning later on tonight. But I just want you to see that this is our world which is extending an invitation, in my opinion, to us as believers to step into it, to get out of the confines and the comfort of church and to step out into the world and bring change to the world. I also, slight side note, but I do passionately believe it. I believe that the geopolitical rumblings around the world are also an invitation for believers to rise up and take their place in government. And I believe that with all my heart. So, quick global picture of the Bible. Heaven's government is family. The father wants his kids back. He sent his son to do everything required to have his kids back. We're we're the sons and daughters of the kings. We're the adopted ones. And even Jesus had to go through a form of adoption. Global picture of the world. We live in the days of the greatest opportunity, the greatest change, and the greatest creativity. Is everyone... All right, let's have a look at a couple of things that are going on more in the church that some of you may have noticed. One of those is this. This church, like many that you go to, has a school of supernatural. It doesn't have to have exactly those words. What's that all about? And when you look at it, you'll see listed on there words like identity, identity, purpose and stuff like that there's a beautiful poster out there hundreds of these schools around the world 30 years ago the church I went to we had midweek bible studies and we studied the bible and our navels for a couple of hours had a cup of tea or a cup of coffee a slice of cake and went home unchanged <laughs> anyone go to that church <laughs> now we have midweek schools of ministry why well, one of the reasons why is because we're a heaven on earth generation. Because we, we believe that we our assignment is to pull heaven to earth. And one of the keys to that, as I'll hopefully manage to wrap this up in some form that makes sense, is that we become sons and daughters who know who we are and therefore know how to access heaven and pull it to earth. Schools of supernatural. They're happening all over the place. Massive change, isn't it? That guy over there has changed. Anyway, he's got it. He is. Was that you? Gordon, I even know your name. We've, we've, become, we've become friends already. Good, good guy, that. I think you could be a bit dangerous. Light the blue touch paper and stand back. We also have teaching about spheres of influence, or some would talk about mountains of influence. Anyone been exposed to any of that? Uh, To be honest, I'm not a great fan of the mountains. Um, I prefer spheres of influence. Uh, I have some reasons why. Mainly that every one of us can uh, touch a sphere of influence, but mountains seems a little bit out of reach for most of us, and it also has some... It has a little smell of dominion theology, which I'm not a great fan of. So I'm rather more about spheres of influence. But what we're saying is that you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you work in government, you know, you're a nurse, you, you, you know, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter who you are, you have a sphere of influence, and, and it's about touching the whole earth. That's basically that teaching. So a couple of big changes that are going on. That we we want to bring heaven to earth, the supernatural, and we want to expand the influence of the king to every sphere of influence. What's that done to the church? What I believe we're seeing in the church is that we are seeing the church hungry to be more about kingdom. In other words, to send our people to change the world. And I would suggest, now this is is where I will do some explanation. But I would also suggest that we are becoming more apostolic. Now let me do a quick explanation here because I think there's been a lot of misunderstanding about the apostolic, huge amount of misunderstanding. So let me quickly ask you a question, how many of you in here are apostolic? The funny thing is whenever I ask this, about maximum 20% put up their hands, there's usually a Gordon in the room who says confidently yes. And there's usually a couple of other people just over here who, who help out and go, we all are. And then the con- everyone else in the congregation is sort of looking down at their heads wondering, do I put it up? Should I, should I put it up or not put it up? I asked you how many of you were apostolic. But I think that a lot of you heard another question. You heard, are you apostles? I didn't ask if you're apostles. I asked if you're apostolic. You see, this is my thought. If I asked you how many of you are pastoral, most of you would try and put up your hand because, you know, you'd want to think that you actually cared for people (laughs) and pastored people to some reasonable extent. And if I said to you, you know, how many of you are evangelistic, you'd probably say, yeah, you know, because you don't question that the pastor's job is to equip the saints to be pastoral, yeah? Yeah. The evangelist's job is to equip the saints to be evangelistic. You're getting it. The prophet's job is to equip the saints to be prophetic. And the teacher's job is to equip the saints to be teacheric is the word that I like to use. It doesn't exist. Apparently it's pedagogical, but that sounds like you're showing off if you use that word, so I try not to use it. But Anyway, so what's the apostle's job? To make you apostolic. Yeah? Is everyone okay? And then you're sitting there going, what? I don't know whether I've got an apostle. Anyone thinking that right now? Don't put your hand up. It's all right. Well, here's the deal. You might not know an apostle on earth. Do you know a secret? I don't care. You know one up there. His name is Jesus. He's the first apostle. He's also... The pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, and the teacher. And he rocks at all of them. He's the first apostle, so if you do what he did, say what he says, go where he goes, believe what he believed, guess what? You're apostolic. And and the simplest definition, in my opinion, of the apostolic is sent, and I would add to that one other word, a sent son or daughter. So what do we have? We've got a Bible that says we're a family. It's all about being family. God wants his kids back. He sent his son to do everything required to get his kids back so that we would look like the father. And we've got a world extending an invitation to us. Get out there. Revival. Reformation. Renaissance. Renaissance. We've seen these changes in our church. We've become, I would suggest, a kingdom generation and a heaven on earth generation. And we're seeing a church which is shifting, and I emphasize this, what I'm about to say, from church first to kingdom first. It's not no church. Please hear me. It's not no church. But all of the church is in the kingdom not all of the kingdoms in the church and Jesus said the kingdom is at hand not the church is at hand and actually he said he'd build the church but the father would give us the keys to the kingdom which seems a bit sad that we didn't pick them up for a while we might have spent a couple of thousand years trying to build something that Jesus said he was due and not picked up the keys for the assignment that the father gave us so we're seeing a shift from church first to kingdom first. Is that okay? So an emphasis. Our lens has slightly changed. I also suggest to you that we are seeing a shift from pastoral first. I emphasize the first. Because I'm not throwing out pastoral. Remember Jesus is a pastor. Pastoral first to apostolic first. In other words. The purpose of this gathering here. Is not to gather first. It's to send. That's what that says. Thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. The goal is transformation. The goal is to send. The goal is to change the world, not just to build a nice church. So we've got these changes that we're experiencing. And I think sometimes what I teach, I don't teach necessarily new things. I just put them together in a way that I want you to go, oh, okay, I get it. So we've got, it's all about family. Family. Heaven's government is family, a world extending an invitation, and a church in change. An emphasis on bringing heaven to earth, an emphasis on expanding the kingdom, an emphasis on being kingdom-minded, and an emphasis on being apostolic. And every one of you, see, once you know that you're apostolic, whatever you do next Monday morning, you should know you were sent. See, too many of us have been waiting for somebody to lay hands on us and say, I'm sending you. Now, we're we're very familiar Katie I'm sure you were sent I'm sure you were sent but here's and I love that but here's what's wrong if she's a police officer next to you she probably wasn't I'm not prophesying by the way don't worry about that but if you were or in what was your career what's your career wonderful all right did anyone ever lay hands on you and send you as a minister of the gospel of the kingdom, that's my point. My my point is if we're truly apostolic, we know we're sent. And too many of us have been waiting for somebody to send us. We've been waiting for this big man of God to walk in the room and, and say, I want to send you. Well, stop waiting. You've already been sent. Jesus said, As the Father send me, so I send you. So you've been sent by Jesus. You won't find anyone bigger than him to send you. You've been sent, you've been commissioned. Let me just add two more personal things into this that are changes in, in the last, whatever, 30, 40 years. We have become, as, and it's back to the beginning, we have become an identity generation. Identity now matters to us. We teach about it. We're constantly teaching about finding our identity. That's why we're here. But alongside of that, we become a destiny generation. We want to know why. Why? We want to know where we're going to go. We want to know what the impact of our lives will be. Well, here's what I believe. If you add all of that up together, we have to be sons and daughters in order to step into that place. You See, let's take the pastoral for an example. The pastoral model kept an eye on me all the time. You know, if I didn't turn up at church twice on Sundays, go to a church meeting once a month, turn up at the Bible study, put my tithe in the bucket, I was probably going to get a visit. (laughs) Probably, in some way or another. See, pastoring, there's many elements to it which are wonderful. But when the focus is gathering first, when the focus is making sure that everyone's tucked up nice and neatly in their beds at 10 o'clock at night and not doing anything naughty, that kind of an emphasis is not raising up and empowering the kind of people that we need to accept the invitation for revival, reformation and renaissance, to step into the opportunity of the world. So we're changing the way we do things. So pastoring ended up being, well, you know, let's, let's just make sure that you've got everything sorted out in your life before we allow you to go too far down the road and out of our gaze, you know. But once we step into the apostolic, we're thinking, how far can we send them? We want to raise up sons and daughters who are empowered, who are trusted, that they know who they are, that they won't have to have somebody checking up on them about how they live because they got it on the inside. That they became sons and daughters who can go into any place on this world. They can go into the darkest places in Brazil. They can go into the prostitute dens of Hollywood or ever. And and we can trust them because they know who they are. And they're walking as sons and daughters with confidence in their identity. That they've got the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of them of self-control. That we don't have to be checking up on them. See, that's why this all goes together. That's why really sonship, the Father's heart, is the glue that holds everything else that's happening on planet Earth and in the Bible together. You can't have an apostolic move of God without a sonship, Father heart, inner healing move of God. You can't. And when I talk about an apostolic move of God, I'm not talking about raising up these giant men that we put in hierarchical positions. Sometimes that happens, but that's not the goal. The gift of the apostle is a gift of Christ to equip the church for the works of service, which is to equip the saints to all be apostolic so that they all know that they are sent ones, sent with an incitement to make earth like heaven and to expand the influence of the king in every corner of this planet that's why you're here you see this isn't an add-on this isn't just a little piece Oh, let's let's just make sure you know we've got 24 things that every church needs to have you know so let's make sure we've got the sonship piece no this is the very core the very center of it all so God so loved the world That he sent. For God so loved the world that he apostled his son. That whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It it hinges on the son. The government is on the shoulders of a son. He was a child that was born who became a son. Who experienced this incredible experience of I would call it supernatural adoption. That's why you're here. What happened this morning, this adoption. Let me tell you this, if you've got in your heads, and, and Duncan did a fantastic job, let me say it a different way, just to illustrate it. If you have in your heads the adoption of abandoned kids, if that's what adoption means to you, if adoption somehow means to you kids that are unwanted, if, if it means kids that, that parents have died in Africa or anything like that, yes, that is adoption. But kingdom adoption is a higher standard than that it's the standard that Duncan talked about but my illustration is the daughter-in-law how many daughter-in-laws in in the room there's got to be more than that some of you just don't put your hands up to anything it's all right (laughs) you as daughter-in-laws are the greatest example in my opinion on earth of adoption because first of all I won't check on whether this happened but I hope it did you fell in love good it's a good step forward you fell in love you took the family name and you became a joint heir that's what happened when we fell in love with Jesus we took the family name and we became joint heirs that's what it says in the Bible you see we've been adopted into this incredible family we've been adopted into the very purpose of The very purpose of our faith. We've been adopted into the core of our faith. Right in the middle. So as we take care of our identity, of sonship, as we learn to experience the fatherhood, as we realize how good he is, as we emerge from some of the pain of hundreds of years on this earth, of the image of men being so poor, I mean, fathers weren't in the game even 50 years ago, were they really? You know, they were absent, they went to work, they weren't in the childbirth, they just weren't part of it at all. So even in the natural, we're seeing that transition. We have been adopted into the very heart of the purposes of God. And we have been adopted into that and become aware of that at this moment in history. This moment. A moment which is extending an invitation for revival. What's revival? It's when, I have two definitions, one I've just stolen from someone else, but it's become my favorite. My definition is when ones to millions of people come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, his person, his power, his presence, and his principles. Ones to millions. Now, I've also just stolen a definition recently from a guy called Mark Sayers, who has um, occupied some of my reading in the last year, and his definition is when renewal goes viral, I really like that because that fits into this because you're here to get renewal and when your renewal goes viral you can cause a revival. Yes. So we, we know that we have been adopted for this moment in history for revival, it's revival time. I don't know whether you know this or not but we live, and let me just clarify something for a minute, I'm a European I'm a British European. Anyone else? That's good. I had to go through another line yesterday with my passport. It's like, this is getting confusing. Well, you see, I've worked this out. I'm a simple thinker. There are seven continents, aren't there? Yeah. I'm not from Antarctica. I'm not from South America. I'm not from North America. I'm not from Asia. I'm not from Australasia. I'm not from Africa that leaves one (laughs) I'm a European I mean it's as similar as that I mean Brexit either way I'm still a European nothing's going to change that which means I live on the largest unreached continent on earth and so do you it's our time it's our moment so I believe that there's a cry why not here why not now why not us why not I love Bethel I love that I went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry but I look at it and say I dream of the day that 2,500 people fly to a city somewhere in my continent and, and have trouble getting visas and raising money and doing crazy stuff because why not here why not now why not us so we have become sons and daughters we've stepped into this identity moment We've stepped into this destiny moment. We want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going and what the impact of our lives will be, don't we? Yeah. We've stepped into this and it from there is an invitation to revival. But not only revival, to reformation. Reformation. How will reformation happen? Reformation will happen when we raise up sons and daughters who are secure in their identity and know that they are called to go and touch business and government and education and healthcare and the arts. And they know and they are certain that the call on their lives is a first-class call to the gospel of the kingdom, to be ministers, and they won't know that if they're not secure in who they are because they'll be constantly looking at people like us on platforms or people who sing songs and send out CDs and stuff and worship leaders and think, oh, I've got to be one of them instead of being secure in their identity and knowing, hey, I, from the age of three years of age, I wanted to be a doctor. And that's what I'm called to do. I meet, I've, I've got another one in my life right now. We've, we've had several people in this situation they, they've trained they're incredibly highly trained and they're saying to us oh I, I really think I should give it up and just travel the world and be an itinerant preacher it's like why why are you thinking that way what's missing you you trained you spent years training you're the best why don't you get into healthcare and stay there and influence that world for the king Reformation will only happen when we've got people who know who they are, secure in their identity, that can walk into office blocks and hotels, can clean hotel rooms, yeah. can serve meals in restaurants, and they're secure in their identity and know this is my place. And I'm going to bring reformation. Even if it's only four meters square around me, I'm going to bring reformation where I am. <laughs> this is the context of a Father Heart Conference or Creativity. How many creatives are there in the room? You know we're a creative generation. I, I believe we are. I, I, I actually do believe that the, there's something happening, there's a shift happening. We've, we've had the agricultural age, the, the industrial age, some talk about the information age. I think we're stepping in to an age of unrivaled creativity. See, there's an invitation to a renaissance, but the first renaissance ended with secular humanism. We thought we did it without God. That's how it ended. What a tragedy. Isn't it a shame that it didn't end more with a Handel's Messiah? Imagine that just for a moment. Just pause for a moment and imagine this, that no one can say your name without saying his. Handel's Messiah. It's stunning, isn't it? So I believe that there is a creative age. But that world requires people who know who they are, sons and daughters, who know who they are to step in to the Hollywoods of the world, to step into the Googles and the Apples and the Microsofts, to step into those places secure in their identity, that that they are able to withstand the pressures of secularism, because they know who they are and influence that world for Him. It's time for a renaissance. It really is. And one that doesn't end with secular humanism, That one that ends with giving glory to God. And that's our moment. This is our moment. See, if you thought you just came here for another top up on your sonship, on your father heart teaching, great. I hope you get it, but I hope you overflow. I hope you get to a point that you are so bursting with it, you go, I got to do something. Yes. I was put on this planet to bring change. Yes. I got to do something. And, and you know, I, that's, that's my desire. I actually believe it's our desire. I, I don't feel any, any contradiction here at all. This is the context. It's not just about a warm fuzzy. You see, here's the thing every one of you has spent time reading a book on sonship father heart has been to a father heart conference who has had a sozo and elijah house and rtfa whatever else you want to put in there you have made a contribution to an apostolic move of god you have you might not realize it you might thought i just need to get healed up i just need to sort out my emotional wounds yes you did but you've done it so that you can be a part of a move of god a move of God that touches every corner of this planet, that, that you, you, if it's not you, but you will raise up and champion others who will go into every corner of this earth to bring revival, reformation, and renaissance, because that's why you're here. It's not about warm fuzzies. You're here to become sons and daughters who become mothers and fathers, who raise up sons and daughters, who change the world that's our context and that's why the context is there's the context and it leads us to repentance which is change the way you think which is Luke 15 because that's where the boy changed the way he thought he sat there with the pigs and he came to his right mind which means he changed the way he thinks and he put words in his head Father, I don't think he'd used that word for a while. I don't think he'd use that word feeding the pigs. I don't think he used that word when he was sleeping with prostitutes. He got the language back. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And it begins his journey. The journey back to the father's house. And that's why you're here you're here to become world changers, you're here to be history makers, to get this identity so clear inside of you, that whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you go, you go as a son, you go as a daughter to bring change everywhere you go. Let's all stand. Father from the oldest to the youngest from the quietest to the loudest for the one that's got it to the one that's just trying to work out what this means for their life I ask that these couple of days here with you with each other with worship with your presence with teaching I pray that it would change us every one of us because Our job description is to bring change. We joined this Christian family because our lives were changed. And our assignment is to bring change. We're change agents, change agents sent into a world that needs to be changed, that needs revival, reformation, and renaissance. We're the sent ones, sent from heaven to earth to be like you, Jesus, and to reveal the Father. So, Father, wherever we are on this journey, I ask that you would bring encouragement to us right now, every one of us. I pray that we would see our journey through the eyes of the Father and that we would become more and more the sons and daughters who know who we are, know why we're alive, know where we're going, and know what the impact of our lives will be. We thank you that we're alive at such a time as this. Amen.